Are you ready? You better get ready. Get ready to dive into the heart of local sports action. Broadcasting live from the heartland of Missouri. Welcome to the SEMO Scramble on SEMO ESPN. Get set. Because it's time to catch up on the latest local highlights, in-depth analysis, and interviews from the Blue Beagle and beyond. Here we go. With your host, Rusty Hendricks and Jess Todd. And good Saturday morning to you. It is the SEMO Scramble here on SEMO ESPN Radio. That's 1220 AM, 93.5 FM, and online at SEMOESPN.com. You can also check out the the podcast page, check out podcast after the show, and then previous shows as well, or check on your mobile app and uh, take it take it anywhere. So our, our buddy Clay Harrell in for another week, Rusty Hendricks. So, Clay, how we doing, man? Doing good. It was a, a good week of basketball this week, a lot going on, and I think kind of it all culminated last night with a line of 200 to 300 people out the door waiting to get in for the championship <laughs> match. And I know we're going to get into it, but it was a fun week. Yes, it was a SEMO Conference Tournament Week at uh, the Sykeston Fieldhouse, so we're going to be talking about that. Uh, hoping uh, to get a couple of maybe players. If We'll see if they can wake up in time to talk to us uh, in the next segment uh, for Sykeston as they took down uh, New Madrid County Central. If you haven't heard, if you didn't watch it, 72-70, a big victory for Sykeston and just a wild game. We'll get into that in just a moment. But also excited to announce we'll have another nice guest, uh, Jason Hill, on for Viva Albertos, uh, joining us at 9.30. And uh, so a fun, uh, filled, packed show here today, Clay. I'm excited. There's a lot going on. And, you know, I know we've both probably been running around like crazy, but it's worth it. Like, I think last night was probably might go down as game of the year uh, in southeast Missouri. That, it was it was something special, that's for sure. So let's go ahead and dive into it. SEMO Conference Tournament. Uh, so for the boys, we saw the girls wrap things up last week. It was Notre Dame girls getting the tournament title last week uh, in New Madrid. But the boys, they've been doing this. this is the 18th year, Clay, that they've been doing the SEMO uh, Conference Tournament. Now, they used to have the SEMO Invitational, so that's why I was like, oh, only 18 years? But that's why 18 years of the SEMO Conference Tournament. Uh, and it's been uh, it's been fun. Sykeston picking up their ninth tournament victory, uh, the most among any team in the conference. Uh, we saw uh, Jackson and Charleston battle clay there. I know we'll talk about that, too. Battle there for the fifth place or the consolation trophy. And then Popper Bluff and Cape Central. That was another good game yep. for the third place game. So, uh, really, honestly, all three games were pretty solid last night. And like you said, there were a ton of fans, especially uh, for the championship game. And I think maybe they had to turn some fans away because uh, it was so packed and full in there. And Boy, I know I was there last night. You were there, too. But it, it was incredibly hot. It was warm in there. There were so many people. It got to be pretty warm. They had to open the doors up there late in the night just to get some cool air in. And when you see the talent that they had on the floor, you understand why people are packing that jam. I mean, every game there was a performance that kind of had your jaw dropped and just watching. I mean, championship game, it was Jadis Jones with 33 points and 23 rebounds. I know they, they came up on the losing end, but, I mean, talk about a dominant performance from him. And even in the fifth-place game, Jackson Shock, I mean, he had – Eight, an 8 nothing run to answer a Charleston 8 nothing run and really kind of gave Jackson the breathing room to take that consolation title. So it was just a great night of basketball. So let's start there. We'll touch on Jackson a little bit and Jackson and Charleston. We'll, we'll move to the third-place game and then close out this first segment with the championship, Clay. So uh, i tell you what, probably to me the, the, the team that opened up my eyes more than anything in this tournament was Charleston. Uh, they're a team that... You know, obviously they don't have P.J. Farmer. We're hoping to talk to P.J. Farmer in the next segment. But 
uh, a team you know that doesn't have him. Uh, they lost some of their great seniors in uh, Trey Stanback and Rico Coleman uh, and Almarion Williams. I mean, guys that were legit starters and good players for them on a team that uh, has has been to state before, has made some district tournament cha- championship runs. Um, so they don't have those guys anymore. Really, the the only starter coming back was Bobo, and they call him Bobo, Katerion Owens. And he's really impressed me, too. He's a guy that last year, Clay, uh, was spent, you know, as a guy, as a fourth swing guy, guy down low, didn't get a ton of, of shots put up, you know, he was more of a glue type of guy with some of the other guys. Now he is the guy, and he's been running the point some. He's been, uh, you know, had the basketball in his hands most of the time. He never leaves the court. So I just got to give Charleston some credit. I know that uh, Jackson had a good game. Uh, Cole Deck was impressive. Uh, Judd Toma and company as well, and doing it without Blaine Harris. But I just got to give uh, Charleston some love that uh, they impressed me in this tournament. They're a, a lot better team than what I expected them to be. And so, again, I think they're still going to have a solid year. But for Jackson and uh, what they were able to do last night, Clay, and again, without Blaine Harris, a team that obviously if they get him back, they're going to get a lot better down the road. But it was a good win. Yeah, absolutely. And just touching on Charleston really quick, I mean, Katerion Owens is a handful down low. And I think, like you said, you don't really get to see kind of what he had in his game just because he was playing against so, or playing behind so many great players. But you just see how, I mean, he looks comfortable when he has the ball in his hand, bringing up the court. Even in isolation situations, he was able to get to the basket. And talking to Corey Toma after the game, he was like, there were times where we felt like we guarded him well, and he just was good offense, beats good defense sometime. And, I mean, if you're if you're Jackson, it was kind of hard to hang your head on it, but yeah, I mean, you look at the way they play; they're playing right now without Blaine Harris. It might have been a little rocky at first, and that's I mean, that's expected. Your leading scorer, a guy that I mean is one of the best players in this region, it's not going to be something you figure out in the first couple games. And they get back to 500. They start the year with six tournament games. Wow. They finally get to go back home Tuesday against Dexter. So I think you maybe start to see them settle in, and then a big contest on Friday against Vienna at home. I think that'll be one. Maybe you get to really kind of see how Jackson's adjusting without Blaine Harris. So a 58-48 victory for the Indians over Charleston for the Constellation Championship. Again, I mentioned Cole Deck. He's a guy that he's just a natural scorer. That's exactly what Coach Toma said about him um, in the article with you. Uh, so he's a guy that uh, has really paced them offensively through the first handful of games. And, again, he's been impressive. He looks good. He's got. He just looks like a natural when he's got the ball. He he has good you know, instincts on the court. He kind of knows where guys are going to be when he's making a pass, and he can shoot the ball, man. I mean, when he, if you give him any kind of space in the corner, he's going to knock it down. And I think, like Coach Thomas said, he's still learning the game. He's still figuring it out. I mean, he's just a sophomore. So for Jackson, that's a, that's a promising young star, not only for this year but the next two years to come. All right, in that third-place game, Clay, it was Cape Central. It was Popper Bluff. And I'll be honest, uh, I, I figured – Cape Central would, would take care of business there in that third-place game. But, man, give credit to Popper Bluff. They're a scrappy team. They play really hard under the 12th-year head coach of Will Durden. And, you know, Popper Bluff was up uh, – I forget how many points they were up, but they were up uh, by a good amount there late in the game. Uh, Cape Central stormed back and made it a – boy, made it a ball game. And I thought down the stretch that uh, Popper Bluff may uh, maybe cough it up a little bit, but they were able to hang on and – uh, they got some guys down the stretch. Uh, Preston Moore for Popper Bluff was really good. Darius Graham stepped up the last couple of games for them as well. And uh, they made some big plays, made some shots when they needed to. You know, Of course, Jay Reynolds for Cape Central, uh, Tyshondre Edwards, those two were just di- a dynamic duo all tournament as well. But, again, uh, Popper Bluff did enough, and uh, they made some big defensive stops down the stretch. Yeah, talking about Tyshondre Edwards, you hope he's all right. It looks like he left that game, I think, late with an injury. Yeah. So, obviously – 
with a Cape Central team that's already banged up, you I mean, you hope that he's all right and can go as they get back in action this next week. But Poplar Bluff, they're fun to watch. They they kind of lock in and they dig their heels in and they play some really good fundamental basketball. I mean, and that's a good team to watch, I think, throughout the year. I think they're going to give, you know, the New Madrids and the Sykesons a run for their money. Uh, I know uh, Bluff, I think, got beat by Sykes in there in that tournament. But, yeah. you know, still early in the year. They still have a regular season matchup to play. I think Bluff's a team that as the year goes on, you're going to see that they're a team that are they're going to dig their heels in and they're going to play good basketball and they're going to try to outgrind you to win some games. Yeah, so they get the victory over Cape Central, uh, sixty-four to sixty. And you know, of course, you know some people may not know that. Uh, you know, of course, Cape Central lost Cam Williams last year, but you know they still have a ton of talent. The problem is a lot of that talent is sitting on the bench because they have some injuries as well. So um, you got guys like uh, Max Vogel by Mateo Rivers. Markwell Murray, the outstanding freshman from last year, Latroy McIntosh, all out. All got all of those guys would be probably starting for Cape Central Clay. So look, you know, it this is gonna help them down the road a lot for Cape Central. Getting those some of those bench guys, those glue guys, a lot of experience. They're gonna be battle tested. So when they get the district tournament time, watch out because Cape Central is going to be good. You know, and I think obviously you know you lose like a guy like Marquel Murray who had such high expectations even from last year in his freshman year. To me though, maybe one of the biggest losses is just that inside presence in Latroy McIntosh. I mean, not having a guy in there that can change shots at the rim. Obviously, he's probably the most seasoned him and Jay Reynolds in terms of just their experience, and not having a guy that maybe can just go get you a bucket, back somebody down, and it, it provides Cape a height advantage that maybe they're missing right now. And if Tashandra uh, Edwards is banged up and can't go, obviously, you know, the height advantage is, you know, definitely not there at that point. But he's taken a big leap as well. He really impressed me this week. He just his shot creating and his shot making. I don't think there's any question that uh, I know a lot of people talk about it. We say it every year, but the SEMO Conference Tournament is one of the best tournaments in the entire state. And as far as talent level, I would put it up there with any any other tournaments, a lot of the other teams in the state as well. I mean, it's impressive, uh, all the guys that move through each and every year, guys that are playing at the next level. You, you, I mean, you can go back and look at some of the past teams and players that are, you know, sprinkled around at Division Ones and, and, and JUCOs and NAIA programs. And uh, it's, it's amazing, the talent level here. And, you know, if, if you haven't, uh, I do have to give props to A-Corp Media as well. They did a good job of broadcasting the tournament. So you can go back on YouTube and watch. If you haven't had a chance, go back and watch the championship game, Clay. Uh, because, again, that game was wild last night. I was out of breath just watching it. I mean, you talk about a track meet, just guys getting up and down the floor. And I mean, and even talking to Dontre Jenkins after their win over Cape Central, he, he said they have to slow it down, that you can't try to get on track meet with them. And they almost did. They almost got out and, and beat Sykeson <laughs> in a track meet, and that's a game Sykeson likes to play. And, and, I mean, that was an outstanding game last night. So Sykeson got the victory, 72-70. to 70. Uh, you know, Mad- New Madrid was up in that game. I think they were up by, what, 15 points, something like that at one point? Sykeson was up 15. Or Sykeson, right, yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. I misspoke. So, I'm, I mean, give credit to New Madrid. Uh, give credit to Sykeson, both teams battling. And you mentioned it, alluded to it earlier, in a monster night from Jadis Jones. Um, what, 23 rebounds? 23 rebounds on 33 points. 33 points. Mean. Amazing. Uh, B.J. Williamson was great. He, he was solid for them. And then... Uh, Tristan Wiggins, 26 points for Sykeston to lead the way. I know Dontrez Williams uh, in double figures as well. And P.J. Farmer only had six points. But, boy, he, he did a lot of little things for his team to help them win. And so, look, I said it was wild because we had 
<laughs> we had six technicals in the game. We start started the game off last night, Clay, with uh, a technical uh, on, on New Madrid in which uh, Sykeson was shooting free throws because of uh, some New Madrid players, you know, hanging on the rim and, and warm ups, dunking the basketball. So uh, that's a that is a rule, and they did assess that to begin the ball game. Um, so that was that happened. We saw a couple other technicals throughout the game, and then obviously a big one late on B.J. Williamson that uh, had his night to be done. So, you know, they're late in the game. We saw Jadis Jones foul out, B.J. Williamson foul out with the with the technical fouls. Um, and then, again, there stoppages all throughout the night because of, uh, you know, the, the sweat on the floor. They had to wipe that up. I mean, we had so many stoppages for that. We had fans end up getting kicked out of the game as well. I mean, I'm telling you, it was a, a rocking atmosphere. Um just being there was pretty awesome. I mean, we had the, the crowds, the, the 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 fans, the student sections just chanting the whole time. Everyone was honestly on their feet for most of the game. So, again, it was back and forth. It was a fun game. And, again, it was just wild. And I know New Madrid, you know, came out on the losing end of this, and maybe the focus should be more on Sykes and pulling out that win. But if you're Dontre Jenkins, I think you learned a lot about your team. Jadis Jones fouls out just probably under halfway through the fourth quarter, if I remember correctly, and then B.J. Williamson goes out with the double technical. New Madrid still had the last shot to win the game. I mean, I mean, Ruff settled for the Ruff, three, yeah. and I think that was the right call. I think you try to walk off win because I don't, I don't think you go to overtime at that point. I mean, Jenkins, I think Coach Jenkins found out a lot about his team and just kind of the fight they have, and, and maybe it's not a lot about fighting, finding out. I mean, you, you're uh, defending state champions, but to see how they played without Jadis and without BJ on the floor, I mean, I think you have to be encouraged if you're New Madrid. They had a shot to win that game there at the end. I agree. Uh I don't know. I mean, both teams were really impressive. I, I thought going in, Sykeston um, would handle them a little bit better. I didn't think they played all that great last night, um, but give credit to New Madrid. Um, I mean, they, they dominated the boards last night. Um, they got some timely steals and turnovers. Uh, B.J. Williamson hit some big threes down the stretch as well. Um, so New Madrid did a lot of little things right, and we saw you know some of their role players and and Brooks and Cranfield, I thought, um, stepped up and played good minutes for them as well. Their starters basically didn't leave the court. I mean, obviously they had to, to get some guys in there late because of the, the uh, fouling out, but, I mean, their guys played the entire time, and Sykeston has such depth. I mean, they shortened that depth last night, but it was impressive to see how New Madrid was able to, to attack Sykeston and kind of get them off their game a little bit. But uh, give credit to the Bulldogs. I mean, with their Hall of Fame coach and Coach Greg Hollifield, uh, they snuck it out. They got it done, and uh, it was a good win for them. Yeah, I mean, and you kind of saw some of their their resilience and their you know their pushback. They were down, I think, it was a sixty-seven, sixty-two, or something like that. And the game was kind of hanging there. It had a chance to to get out of hand. A couple empty possessions for Sykes, and, and they they were able to to really dig in defensively. That was really what won them that game. They were forcing turnovers, drawing some offensive fouls, and they were able to kind of get some buckets on the inside. I know Trey Sadler had quite the height advantage there uh, down the stretch late, especially when Jadis fouled out. So I mean, just. Good pushback from Sykeson, and they showed their resiliency on the way to that win. Well, we're going to try to uh, talk to one of the Sykeston players here coming up, so stay with us. We'll try to get in contact with P.J. Farmer of the Sykeston Bulldogs, get his thoughts on the game last night. So stay with us here in the SEMO Scramble on SEMO ESPN. We'll take a break. Be right back here on SEMO ESPN. And welcome back in. It's the SEMO Scramble here on SEMO ESPN Radio. Clay Harrell of the Southeast Missourian, Rusty Hendricks, and 
We're happy to be joined here on the hotline. It's P.J. Farmer of the Sykeston Bulldogs. How we doing, P.J.? Doing well. How about you? I'm doing good. Uh, did you get any rest from last night? Uh, about four hours of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me, man. I mean, that, that that game had to be exhausting for everybody that was involved. I mean, just you guys poured everything into it. I mean, New Madrid gave you all that you could handle. How fun was that game last night? It was fun, you know. The atmosphere, the fans, it was so loud. There was like a point of the game where I couldn't even hear Like my ears was ringing. I was looking over to the coaches for plays, and like I had to look for hand signals because I couldn't even hear it. Was, it was incredible. You know, PJ, down the stretch, it felt like maybe that was kind of the case the whole night, you said, but down the stretch, it felt like it was just super loud at all times. What did you see from your group there late? I know you guys had to come from behind a bit uh, down the stretch in the fourth quarter. Uh, we just stayed composed. We... We knew we stayed composed down the stretch, you know, didn't get into any silly stuff that we'll, we'll be all right. Well, again, PJ, just what what was kind of the, the message by Coach Hollifield going into the game last night, kind of your game plan against New Madrid, and obviously uh, with guys like B.J. Williamson and Jadis Jones and A.J. Ruff, um, I mean, those guys, those guys uh, are just excellent and talented players. So what was kind of the game plan going in? Well, first we, we, we had to – Stay physical on the boards, you know. They're a handful on the on the uh, boards, and pack the middle and know where Jadis and BJ was at the whole night. It was pretty much the whole game plan and take charges. Yeah, you know, I mean, kind of on the Jadis front, it's like as a somebody you know defending him. Is it tough? Like you know, he's just a good shot maker. So is it kind of tough to keep your composure when he is maybe knocking down some tough shots, even though maybe you guys feel like you are playing some pretty good defense? Yeah, it's it's, it's frustrating because you know he's he's an athlete. You know, he he can he miss the first shot and just go up and put it and just tap it right back in. It's kind of frustrating. And you've had plenty of battles with that guy. I mean, what's it like just getting to compete with one of the best players in this area? And obviously, you're one of the best players in this area as well. And you guys have had some pretty good battles throughout throughout your careers. I mean, overall, it's it's fun. Like, you know, we're we're friends at the end of the day, so it's like no hard feelings. It's, it's just brotherly competition. I could I guess. All right, so PJ, obviously, uh, you know, you were able to make the the transition over to Sykeston from Charleston. So I wanted to ask how that transition has been for you. Um, how do you like playing for Coach Hollifield? And again, you know, that this is kind of how it is. That Sykeston, how it was last night with the atmosphere. That that's kind of how it is with Sykeston basketball. Uh, oh, it's been great, man. You know, the the atmosphere is it's amazing. They were very welcoming. You know. My my first few days here, like everybody welcome. It was it was great. Well, I want to ask you too. Do you feel like you're a better basketball player or a better soccer player? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I maybe soccer. Really? No, no I play. I think I go basketball. Do you? I mean, do you have a favorite though? Do you enjoy one over the other, or do you just uh, want to you know keep doing both? I enjoy basketball just a slight bit more, but. But I, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind continuing playing soccer either. Though. It's just, it's just, it's the weather, man. It's the, the weather does it for me. Is you either playing a nine degree weather or a ten degree weather? Well, I wanted to ask you too. Uh, obviously, coming into the season, you know, Sykeston has a ton of high expectations, right? Um, you're expected to do a lot of big things, and obviously, a lot of talent on, on the team. So, what are the goals for the team this year, and how do you get that accomplished? I mean, the the big goal is to win state, but 
You know, it's not. It won't be easy. We got get through Cape Central. You know, they got players coming back, but on our end, we we just got to continue to work hard. You, you know, for you guys, and obviously Coach Hollifield being such a legendary coach, what is he kind of telling you guys about? You know, managing these expectations and maybe not letting those you know kind of overwhelm you guys at time. Uh, he he just tells always oh, like just just calm down. You know, stay off the internet. Don't pay attention to anybody else. Just focus on us. And get better every day. All right, this is kind of a weird question, I guess, but I was told by someone familiar with the program that you're you're a big buddy with uh, Will Lape, and I heard that you guys were really close. And I, I just want to, I just want to know kind of how that relationship started and has grown, and kind of how that's like with you two. Well, my first week when I moved down here, uh, we all had a big sleepover at his house, and. It was history after that. Like, I, I, we, we had sleepovers over there just about every weekend. So, that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. You know, PJ, I, I've seen your game improve so much, even from last year to this year. You know, I'm watching you, and you do so many little things right. Uh, you're a very smart and cerebral type basketball player as well. I mean, you're such a good rebounder. Uh, you have good court vision, uh, good passer, uh, very unselfish. I know Coach Hollifield talks about how unselfish you are. And you're just your ability to get to the rim too is pretty special. So, is there an area of your game that I guess number one do you feel like is a strength, and then number two is there an area that feel like you can still improve upon? My my strength is definitely by far my pass and playmaking skills. You know, it's, it it kind of comes to me natural. I just 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 hit the open man. My weaknesses, I can I can definitely give my improve on my outside shot a whole lot better. So you don't have to say any names. I don't want you to give out any any information on that, okay? But um, so I'm not trying to lead you anywhere. But I just want to ask: Do you are you wanting to play at the next level for basketball and maybe soccer as well, or uh, do you have any idea of what you want to do at the next level? Yeah, I'm I'm wanting to play basketball at the next level. Very good, very good, man. Again, it's just fun watching your team play. I know it was fun watching New Madrid last night. I want to ask you, too, I know we haven't gotten to it yet. It's going to happen down the road. But what do you think you're going to feel like when you step on the floor against Charleston for the first time? What do you think the emotions are going to be like for that game? Probably there's be some heckling going on. I don't know. Like, But what do you think that's going to be like? Uh, I mean, it would be kind of emotional my way because at the same time, like me personally, I kind of I have no hard feelings. You know, I just did what I thought was best for my future. But, like, I mean, I'll, I guess we'll see. I don't know how they'll, how they'll be reacting, though. Again, it, this is fun watching you play. I really appreciate the time this morning. Good win last night, PJ. I mean, you guys did a great job. It's going to be fun watching you this year. Just good luck the rest of the way, okay? Thank you. All right, thanks a lot, man. All right, that was PJ Farmer here on the SEMO Scramble Clay. Boy, uh, well-spoken and some good things from him. I am interested to see what the, what happens there in that Charleston Sykeston game uh, with with him on the other side this year. That's going to be a fun one down the road. I think that's uh, at Sykeston too, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. So it should be a should be a good battle. And obviously that gym, you saw how packed it was this week. I wouldn't be shocked if it gets close to that uh, when that matchup takes place this season. So PJ, you know, talk about how he, you know, he wants to play at the next level. Um, I mentioned the whole Will Lape story because. Um, Again, I heard that that was kind of a neat, kind of a neat backstory. He able to make a, a friend early there in, in Sykeston and Will Lape, a guy that's a sophomore, 
Um, he's a, a JV player, really, um, but he's on a good shooter and a, and a guy that, on the surface, you look at the two of them, you think probably wouldn't be friends, but they are. And so it's pretty cool that those two guys connected and are are good good friends with one another. And you can tell, like uh, at the end of the game, when you get Will Lape into the game, he's able to hit a three. You see PJ on the bench just cheering like crazy for him. Opposite, you see PJ make a big play on the bench. You see Will Lape just going crazy. So it's fun to see that. You know, that's part of in high school sports that we forget about sometimes, Clay, is just the camaraderie, just the relationships that these guys have with one another and just uh, just building that those friendships that you'll have for a lifetime. Yeah, I mean, and that is just, you know, when you're playing, how big that is, knowing that somebody, I mean, obviously all your teammates have confidence in you, but when you're best friends with somebody on that team, knowing they have the utmost confidence in you, it, it, it definitely helps you as a player, and you definitely see it in P.J.'s game, and, and I think a lot of guys on that team probably have a lot of confidence in P.J. Farmer, and quite frankly, I don't blame them one bit. All right, so we're going to shift gears a little bit. We're going to talk a little St. Louis Cardinals baseball coming up. Uh, again, it was fun talking some high school hoops. We'll continue to do that throughout uh, this basketball season, Clay, but uh, so there's some news. There's some news. A big trade that happened uh, yesterday. Tyler O'Neill, no longer Cardinal. He's on to the Boston Red Sox. A couple of pitchers in return. We'll talk about that coming up here in just a few minutes. And also, uh, you know, we'll get some thoughts from Jason Hill. Again, he's a gentleman who works for Viva Albertos, writes for them. They have a podcast page. You can check that out, Viva Albertos podcast. And uh, he does a lot of good stuff. He really digs into the numbers. He's good on the contracts. We'll talk about the contract situation with him. Um, we'll talk about the Tyler O'Neill deal and many other things with the St. Louis Cardinals. So that's coming up next, Clay, right here on the SEMO Scramble on SEMO ESPN. Welcome back in. It's the SEMO Scramble here on SEMO ESPN Radio. Clay Harrell, Rusty Hendricks, and we're happy to be joined here on the hotline by Jason Hill, the site editor of Viva Alberto. So, Jason, how are we doing this morning? Doing great, guys. Good to be with you. And, Jason, give us a little bit of your background. Where are you from, man, and uh, kind of how have you got into this realm of, uh, of sports media? Well, right now I'm from Cape Girardeau, actually. Hey, hey. We live right here in town, been here for about 13 years or so. Uh, I actually passed through a church here in town, the Church of the Nazarene, and got into baseball writing um, informally a long time ago. I've always been a Cardinals fan, and I've always been a fan of reading like the Post-Dispatch and places like that. Started doing some writing and blogging early, and about three, four years ago, had a chance to join up with the team on Viva Albertos, and have been there ever since as a writer and now as an editor. Well, give us your your view right now of the Cardinals offseason, um, kind of what they've done at kind of your grade, so to speak. Do you think they're going to you know, add some more pieces? Do you think there's more to come, or do you think it's pretty much it? Um, that's, a, you know, that's an interesting question. Right, right now, I would, I would grade them as like a solid B-, maybe C+. Plus. Um, I love the Sonny Gray edition. He's, uh, he's one of the best pitchers the Cardinals have had in the last five or six years. He, he's probably up there in terms of quality with Jack Flaherty back in 2019 and We'll remind Cardinals fans of, of Adam Wainwright back, maybe not in his prime, but maybe just after his prime years. He's, he's going to be a Cy Young uh, contending pitcher and going to be a quality pitcher. The rest of the rotation, though, I, I've got to admit I've got some question marks about that. Those guys are 
nearly as old as I, as I am uh, with uh, with Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson, but they've also had some pretty good production in their past. So my question would be about whether their health can hold up uh, here yeah. in their mid to late thirties, and and whether their arm you know quality will hold up. But um, you know we're going to get innings from them. And that's something that they didn't have last year and, and should be something the team could build on at least a little bit. Jason, amidst the chaos that was MLB Twitter yesterday with all the Otani stuff going on, the Cardinals <laughs> made a trade, traded Tyler O'Neill to Boston. They get a Nick Robertson from the Red Sox, who, you know, I think listening to what Mo said, he kind of expects him to be in the bullpen. And then Victor Santos, uh, another minor leaguer, into the, going into the system. What was your take on that trade? And obviously it was a, quite the day yesterday on MLB Twitter. Yeah, it sure was. Um, as far as O'Neill goes, um, you know, I think the writing's kind of been on the on the wall with O'Neill for a while, at least since the beginning of the offseason. And I think for him, it's kind of a combination of maybe he he kind of lost favor with Ali Marmol and with the front office uh, this season. And they gave him plenty of chances. You gave him the chance to come into spring training and competing for the starting center field job, something he's never done before, and had high hopes for him. He didn't perform. He got injured again. And I think that at this point, they're just ready to move on. Uh, I think the return is pretty good. Um, not maybe as much as we would hope. I, I really like Nick Robertson. He's got a, a good fastball. He can get uh, swing and miss with his fastball. And towards the end of the season, he started developing, uh, I mean, we've heard this one before, a sweeper, uh, <laughs> the, this sort of latest fad in, in MLB pitchers. And his sweeper also looked excellent, rated out really well. Uh, a real swing and miss to go along with a pretty good changeup. So three-pitch bullpen arm, a young guy. The team has control over him for five or six years. Um, you know, he's a guy that could, I'm not saying he will, but could work his way towards the back-end spot in the bullpen at some point in his career. Does this feel, like, eerily similar to the Luke Voigt trade uh, for uh, Gallegos and Jason Shreve? It kind of feels like maybe Robertson's that up-and-coming guy that like Gallegos was. Yeah, I think that's a really good uh, uh, comparison, actually. I, I think when they came over, I actually would probably rate Robertson's stuff a little bit better than, than Gallegos. But we've seen what Gallegos became. I mean, he's been a, a stalwart in that bullpen for years. Last year was a little bit down, but you always get that kind of variance with, with relievers in a major league bullpen. I think Robertson has better stuff. He maybe doesn't have quite as good control and command, uh, but his upside is – Maybe not quite to Helsley's level, but you could dream on it. I mean, it's it's there. The quality of stuff is there. It's just whether he can put it all together. Gallegos did, and we'll have to see what a Robertson does. But but the stuff is there, and so yeah, I think that's a great a great comparison of two types of trades into a AL East club. Talking things over with Jason Hill. He is the site editor of uh, Viva Albertos and. Jason, you, are, you have a couple of articles out. You're talking about the uh, the trade with Tyler O'Neill to the Red Sox. You have that out there in Viva Albertos. You also have kind of a the wrap-up to the winter meetings. And on the site, uh, we also can learn a little bit more about Ryan Fernandez, a guy that they picked up. Apparently they, they really focused in on Red Sox pitchers, Jason, uh, some <laughs> yeah, guy out of the Roll 5 draft. So uh, talk about him a little bit. Yeah, well, Fernandez I think is an interesting case. He um, was a double-A triple-A uh, reliever, also for Boston. You know, one thing that's of interest here, there's been some rumors that Kane uh, uh, Bloom, I think is his name. Kane Bloom, yeah. Uh, a former, yeah, a former Red Sox um, uh, front office official has been connected with the Cardinals. So I wonder if he's having a little bit of influence. He's not hired yet, as far as we know, but a little bit of influence on their moves. But but Fernandez is a guy that I think has a chance to stick in the, in the bullpen. He's got 
He's got pretty good stuff, uh, better than you would expect for a Rule 5 draft. He's had a pretty significant home run problem in the minor leagues, which is worrisome uh, because you, if you have a home run problem in A ball and double A AA and triple A, um, you know, that's probably going to show up in the majors. And home runs from a reliever in the majors is, is just always a, a bad thing, obviously. So um, hopefully they've got some plan to work that out. And, you know, Bush Stadium does suppress Homer, so that might give him more of a chance to stick. But from what I can tell, they're planning on him coming in with a chance to compete for the bullpen. I think they'll give him every chance to do so. Uh, but if it doesn't work out, they'll, they'll send him back and, and, you know, lose a little bit of money. But no harm, no foul there. Jason, you uh, put out a tweet yesterday of kind of the updated projected uh, 26-man payroll for the Cardinals. And, yeah. you know, they're still under what Mosellock kind of said they were aiming for. I mean – is that something where, I mean, does that kind of get into that payroll? Does that come look getting a bullpen arm, another starter? It feels like they have the money to really kind of do whatever they want, but I'm curious your perspective on where they maybe go from here. Yeah, th- I think that's exactly right. Right now, I've, I have them, uh, with O'Neill being traded and his salary going along with them, at about $165 million. Now, that's an opening day payroll. That's a 26-man payroll. There's all kinds of other expenses and, and benefits and, and bonuses that go into that for a final payroll at the end of the season and for the luxury tax purposes. But the, the 26-man payroll is kind of what I've always tracked. And last year, they were at about $175, $178 million, somewhere in that range. And so right now, they're, they're about you know, 10 to $13 million below last year's payroll. And last year, John Mosellock indicated that their payroll was lower than they expected it to be. So they were low last year, and they're even lower this year. There's a possibility maybe they're cutting payroll because of the whole Valley Sports situation, but that's another conversation. Right. But as far as where they are, I think what you said is exactly true. They've got the flexibility to do anything that they want to do. They want to sign Yamamoto. There's no indication that they do. Actually, the indication is the opposite. But they've got the money to do it. They want to, they want to go after a number one. They can trade for Tyler Glass now. They could do that, go after Dylan Cease. That would actually probably lower their payroll because Cease doesn't get paid very much. So, yeah, anything they want to do, they could do. It's just a question whether they do or not. I'm still waiting for some reports uh, from Derek Gould or Katie Wu or some of the, the people that are kind of in the know about whether or not they're going to continue to pursue another bullpen arm. I would expect that, but they just signed two bullpen arms uh, with the real five pick and then Robertson. So there's a chance, I think a slim chance, but there's a chance that they're done, and this is what they're going to you know, take to spring training. Boy, if they're done, um, like you said, I think right, right now you said kind of like a B, B minus, and that, that'd be, I'd have a similar grade, I think, somewhere around that B range for me too. And So I think, like you said, there, there's definitely room for improvement, but where do they go? That's a big question, and I don't know. What do you think, Jason? Do you think that uh, they can maybe still add another starting pitcher, maybe at the top? tier uh, try to go to the trade route try to get a guy like a glass now or sees could the end could be in that kind of realm or i don't know what what do you think they'll, they'll do from here yeah i i think that they i think that they've set themselves up for the opportunity i guess that's the way that i'd put it they keep downplaying it and they keep saying it's unlikely and and things like that but yet like if you look at the amount of money that they have remaining based on my budget. Now, my budget projection is just my own projection. It's, it's, it's not a number I make up, but it's not like Mozilla comes and tells me how much they're going to spend. You know, it's, it's my estimates based on their history. 
if you look at that, I have them with about $25 million left to spend for their opening day payroll, still giving them plenty of room for their final payroll there at the, you know, at the end of uh, next October. And Tyler Glasnow makes $25 million. Yep. So it's just the math is there. The, the prospects are there. Um, we know in his latest sort of conversations, Mo mentioned uh, at second base, uh, Nolan Gorman or Brendan Donovan. Right. Not that we should read much into that, but you know, there's been some indication that the club is considering moving those players in the right move. And, how and much- I think what makes this year different than last year, last year they had to go after a catcher, right? So when, when this, the Murphy deal kind of fell apart for them, they jumped to Contreras quickly, and that was the end of it. This year's almost the opposite. They can wait out the White Sox. They can wait out the Rays. And if they get the right deal, if they get the pieces that they want, I think they could jump on it. But if it doesn't go their way, I could also see them sitting on who they have and, and taking this team into spring training and hoping that they can compete in the NL Central. And also, too, real quick, Jason, it seemed like that Mo kind of alluded to, hey, they, they wanted to get this trade with Tyler O'Neill done first before they kind of yeah. look to address uh, other things. So maybe getting that, and I guess from what I understand, about five, five and a half million off the books from yeah. him, uh, how important is that to maybe allow them to do some other things as well? Yeah, well, it, it, it clears out sort of an unknown factor. Six million dollars, five and a half million, depending on where he would have landed in arbitration. Um, they, they get a bullpen piece in. They get a little bit more AAA depth from their rotation. And Victor Santos, a, a guy we didn't talk about, but interesting little pitcher. And, and that gives them just that much more financial flexibility, that much more security in their bullpen, that if an opportunity does arise, they could, they could jump on it. And that opportunity could be signing you know, a reliever, bringing Jordan Hicks back, or, or signing Phil Matten, or doing something like that. It could be a smaller move. Uh, or, or like you said, it could be could be a big, it could be Glasnow, it could be Cease. I think those guys are definitely in play. I just don't know how likely it is. Yeah. And most history, you know, frankly, kind of indicates that they would lean on the conservative side rather than going so aggressively after after either an injured starter in Glasnow or or a cost controlled guy who's going to cost the world in Cease. And so, you know, I just I always go into these things with fairly low expectations, and and you know, I think the right that's way. where we are again. Yeah. Uh, Jason, you know, I think uh, obviously the big story of the whole offseason has been where Shohei Otani ends up. It feels like this is kind of a two-part question. It feels like the O'Neill trade kind of sets the Cardinals up, you know, post-Otani after this kind of he signs and the market gets moving. I'm putting you on the spot, though. Where do you think Shohei Otani ends up, and what number do you think that contract starts with? Well, not Toronto, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you guys... You know, caught the rumors yeah. yesterday, but they, it was crazy with the you know this, the whole reports about a a private flight from Anaheim to Toronto, and it must have been Shohei Otani, and it turns out it, it wasn't. He was at home in Southern California. So, <laughs> um, you know, I, I really can't say. Um, my my always go back to like the old standards, right? The Dodgers. Um, I, I know that the Dodgers are in play for him. I know that that the Dodgers manager kind of even talked about that when he shouldn't have. And and I, I would think I don't know, but I would think that if Otani had his preference, staying on the West Coast would be ideal for for him in his situation. So the Dodgers would be probably my top. I wouldn't rule out the Giants. I think that's a possibility. And the Mets like to spend money on players, so you know the Mets would be there. And I, I wouldn't shock me at all talking about price, five hundred million maybe. I, I I know no one's ever reached that number in the MLB. 
but Otani is an MVP caliber hitter and a Cy Young caliber pitcher. I mean, we haven't had that kind of player ever, ever in Major League Baseball. He is uh, the consummate unicorn, right? And and so he's going to get paid. He's going to be paid a lot. And it's, he's just going to be a fascinating guy to continue watching throughout his career. Hopefully he'll go to the AL. We won't have to, yeah. you know, have to bother him. Coming to the NL is one more challenge for the Cardinals. And so hopefully staying over there would be ideal. But, you know, it looks like mostly the NL teams are looking at him. Just to, to put a bow on kind of the Cardinals offseason so far, if this is it, kind of like there is that possibility, they go into spring training with that roster. Jason, you're immersed kind of in that in the Twitter sphere. You understand the pulse of Cardinals Twitter what do you think the fan base reaction would be if they do decide, hey, this is the team we have and they like where they're at? Well, I got a little sense of that yesterday. As I've been posting, you know, payroll, I've been keeping up with that. And as the roster is kind of shaping up and as there's fewer and fewer options for the club to spend, you know, there was quite a bit of negative reaction and negative sharing of, of just my little payroll document online. And I think that gives you kind of a, a feel for what some of the, you know, base of the fans or, or thinking some of the some of the online angst <laughs> fans sometimes twitter can be a little angsty even when even when the cardinals are good they can still be mad about everything so that is a consideration but i think from my vibe that if this is the team the cardinals take to spring that cardinals fans will be disappointed will have fairly low expectations and that would make me question what john mozalek was thinking we we know for example that they're very concerned about ticket sales after a, after a poor season last year. Well, the best way to make sure that all of us go to the ballpark this year is to put a winning product, make us want to go, make us want to go see these stars. And, you know, right now they haven't done that. I, I personally, you know, I like Sonny Gray. I'm not going to go buy a ticket to watch him. I'll go watch the Cardinals every year because we live here close and we will. But, but I don't know that that will trickle down to fans in Springfield or in Illinois or in other places that have to get hotel rooms and stay for a weekend and buy ticket packages. And so, yeah, I think there would be disappointment, and I think it could end up hurting the Cardinals at the turnstiles again this year. Yeah, I would agree. I think uh, for them, getting off to a good start is going to be imperative for the Cardinals this year. But, it will be, yeah. yeah. The more they win in April, the more tickets they'll sell in June and July and August, yep. the more gas they'll have in their payroll. Yep. Yeah. Well, Jason, appreciate the time, man. Jason Hill, again, of uh, Viva Albertos. You can follow him on Twitter. That's at Hill underscore cards, at Hill underscore cards. Not J.P. Barossi, but J- Jason Hill, <laughs> J.P. Hill. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks, guys. All right. So appreciate his time, Clay. Um, he does some good work, again, at Viva Albertos. That's VivaAlbertos.com, part of SB Nation. And, uh, he, again, he focuses, he's done a lot of good stuff on the contract situation of the Cardinals. He keeps good track of that. Uh, he and other um, uh, guys that really focus on some of the minor leagues, like um, Blake Newberry um, and, and others, part of the, the Viva Albertos, that they really give you a good look at some of the young guys and guys out of the minors. So, again, check out the work online and what he does on Twitter. They have a podcast page. So uh, good stuff from uh, from J.P. Hill. So, uh yeah, interesting, some of the things he was said. Uh, we'll just react just for a moment here before we uh, move on to our final segment. We'll talk a little St. Louis Blues, Clay. But, um, you know, he kind of has the impression that they're about done. And that's yeah. kind of what he, he was saying. Uh, he said, look, they like you said, I mean, they have some money that they could still do more. Part of that being, you know, they backloaded the contract of uh, Sonny Gray. Um, they have some of the other contracts that um, are team-friendly. So, they have some options. 
and it looks like to me is that uh, John Mozeliak is probably going to sit back, and if he can find a deal that he likes, he'll pull the trigger. But if not, I think he's probably going to be content with what he has. I, you know, there's going to be some more things around the edges that he's going to do. Like I could see them still getting like a, you know, another veteran backup catcher or another veteran inter, in, infielder or something, kind of a a guy that can jump around all over the place and play different positions. Um, maybe a backup center fielder. Again, those are just options. Or again, some things to kind of throw out there along the edges to kind of feel things out. So I could see that, but. Are we going to find a significant move yet for the Cardinals? Look, still a lot of offseason left, still a lot of good free agents out there. Uh, maybe we could see another good bullpen arm. Um, again, maybe another good starting pitcher. We'll see, but uh, I don't know. We'll find out what happens. Yeah, I mean, I think he wasn't lying when he said he got the pulse of what kind of Cardinals Twitter was feeling, or X, whatever you want to call it now, was feeling. I Go look at the replies to his tweet of the payroll. People were not thrilled. About, you know, because he said he tweeted the same thing he just told us. Like, it kind of feels like the bullpen might be done and the Cardinals might be done. And he's not just saying that to say it. He's got, like he said, he has numbers, he has projections. I mean, he wasn't lying. The the people were not very happy with if that's the case with the roster they put out. And I don't think you can blame him. I mean, this kind of feels like like a big year for the Cardinals. And I I, I don't know. I mean, if you're Mose Alok, why not push all your chips all in? Do you, I mean, does he survive uh, another couple of years of. Yeah mediocre baseball like you would think you'd push your chips all in and who cares what your payroll looks like 10 years down the road or if you're handicapped by a contract i think you have to to push your chips all in and and go go now we'll see um again not really mo's mo um pardon the pun but uh i don't know um again a lot of it looming with the the bally's tv situation i know that they're kind of they're downplaying it publicly and that it doesn't really it's not really a big factor but I do feel like it is. I do feel like that is. I do feel like the, the revenue from ticket sales is a big factor for this team. And, again, I do think it's going to be really important for this team to get off to a good start. We say it every year, but if they do or if they are in the mix, I do feel like they could try to make a move at the trade deadline to bolster the team as well. But you'd li- I personally would love to see them try to get another top arm. Probably the trade route would be the go the way to go at this point, but – I don't know. I can't wait for the trade deadline when they trade for Rich Hill or the next John Lester to come in and <laughs> sure up this rotation going down the stretch. Yeah, we'll see. I hope not. But, uh, again, good uh, good for Jason Hill. Thanks for joining us here on the SEMO Scramble and good information. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Got a little info on the trade, and I am satisfied with it. I think, you know, Tyler O'Neill's time here, was he was done. He was done. Uh, you could tell uh, Mo with him publicly talking about the trade, he he was done with him. Uh, Ali has has had some comments. I think he was done with him. And so, look, uh, you get a couple of guys, a couple of flyers. Maybe one of them hits. If it does, great. But it, nothing else. You, you lose that five six million dollars from from arbitration, and you move on. And now you have the opportunity. All right, you know, Newport, it's all yours. Walker, it's all yours. Edmund, Carlson, it's all yours. So. We don't. I don't want to hear any. Uh, hey, guys aren't getting playing time, not getting opportunities because you have the opportunity now. You got to take advantage of it. Yep, and I think uh, I don't. If they do go get a Dylan Cease or a Tyler Glass, I think you're getting one more outfielder out of there, and I think it's Alec Burleson. I think he's he's probably the next one on the move if they make a trade. And I mean, maybe that's your centerpiece of a Glass now trade. I mean, if if that seems feasible, I don't think he's the centerpiece of a Cease trade, no. but but. Uh, I think Burleson could maybe be on his way out as well. They, I mean, they still have a little bit of a log jam. There's not really, you know, 
too much room for him, and I think Carlson's going to be the fourth outfielder just because I think you don't want to give up on him yet. I don't really know what you could get for him uh, in a trade. So I think Burleson has some upside and, and could be a good trade chip moving forward. We'll see if uh, maybe Mo can put a present under the tree before Christmas for us before we get things done. We'll see. A lot of offseason left. All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, we'll talk a little St. Louis Blues hockey. As they played last night, they have another game today. We'll talk about that coming up next. SEMO Scramble here on SEMO ESPN Radio. And the St. Louis Blues with a game last night. Well, they got an early goal from Robert Thomas. Uh, however, Clay, it didn't last as the Blues end up falling 5-2 to two to uh, Columbus. They'll play tonight a 7 p.m. game against the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, they'll get a, get a look at Connor Bedard again. So, Blues, they've had an up-and-down season. Look, they're in the playoff hunt, and that I think that's really all that you can expect from the Blues this year. We knew going in it was going to be, uh, again, part of this retool, that a team that probably isn't going to be challenging for a Stanley Cup, right? But a team that can compete, um, that can still be in that mix, and they are doing that. Again, it's frustrating to see some of the games that's been going on and um, how they've lost some games. You mentioned uh, to me in, in between the break about, you know, if, if they don't score first, then they're not winning ball games. But if they do, hey, they, they have some momentum and they're going to find a way to win. But um, just finding consistency, I think that's important with this team. Yeah, I mean, and it kind of maybe goes without saying, but where would this team be without Jordan Bennington? And the, the bounce back here that he's had, I know a lot of people were writing him off after the last couple of years. And, I mean, it's one of those things where, like, I think everybody knew that he would bounce back, and, and he's shown in a big way that he's still a top goalie in this league. And I'm not putting him in that top echelon of the Shesterkins and the Sorokins and the Vasilevskis, but I think he's that second tier of guys uh, that really can steal you games, and Bennington's done it multiple times this year already. I do want to also mention this. The St. Louis Blues made a trade. Uh, they traded with the Islanders, the New York Islanders, Robert Bertuzzo, a defenseman that, you know, let's be honest, a guy that uh, – kind of that seventh defenseman that hasn't played a ton this year, has been kind of a healthy scratch for a lot of the season. Uh, they ended up trading him away for a seventh-round draft pick. So I don't mind that move. I mean, again, a guy that he's a veteran guy, he's a locker room guy, you hate to see that leave because um, I think he, he does a lot of good things for that the culture of the Blues, and he's been with the, the Blues for some time now. But, again, um, he wasn't getting playing time, and that really leaves things open for a guy um, – his name is blinking on me. Um, their short defenseman. Prunovich. Prunovich, yes, thank you. A uh, guy like him to really stick in the lineup more and, and do some things for him. You know, that that trade yesterday, I, I think I even tweeted just like, uh, like it just was so like random. It felt like it came out of nowhere. But the Islanders have some guys banged up on their right side and uh, obviously need to bring a guy in. And I think Bortuzzo is a good guy to plug some of those holes for the Islanders. And it was just one of those things where you maybe start hearing rumblings that guys are are going to be traded, and that one was just the Blues tweeted out of nowhere, and, and that was it. But obviously Bortuzzo, a cup champion with this team, and uh, had a big key in that turnaround with the fight in practice with Zach Sanford. So yeah. uh, obviously the Blues, uh, oh, maybe not owe a lot to Robert Bortuzzo, but he uh, he played really solid for them, had some big goals during that cup run. And obviously, you know, anytime you see a guy from that team go, it's obviously always maybe a little emotional at times. Bittersweet. But, 
But, uh, yeah, I think it was a, a deal that the Islanders needed to make. I mean, if you're the Blues, get a seventh-round pick. Portuzo wasn't in the lineup much this year. And, and you keep things moving and open the door for guys like Perunovic or Tyler Tucker. Do the Blues get the win tonight against the Blackhawks? What do you think? They better. I think you'll see uh, Jordan Biddington back in net and uh, got to slow down Bedard, and I think you'll be all right because that, that uh, Blackhawks team is very banged up. Obviously, Taylor Hall out for the year. whole Corey Perry situation was what it was, and um, it seems like the Bedard show right now up in Chicago. I got the Blues winning this one 4-3 uh, to three in overtime. All right, so the, the St. Louis Blues right now, um, they are – in that third spot, kind of the wild card rankings, they have 27 points, 13 wins, 12 losses, and one overtime uh, as well So in the 26 games. We'll see what the Blues can do. It'll be fun watching them the rest of the way. Last thing, Clay, before we get out of here, um, you, you ready for Christmas? Christmas is coming up. Uh, I think there's only – I think there's less than – 20 shopping days left here before Christmas time. What do you think? Man, it's it's coming up pretty quick, isn't it? It's kind of crazy to, to think. But uh, luckily this year, my girlfriend and I, we're, just, we're going on a trip to Chicago. So we're not hey. doing gifts. So we're going to go see the Warriors play the Bulls. And you don't get me started on a Warriors rant. You can follow me on Twitter <laughs> for all those. Uh, but uh, we're going to go up. I've never been to Chicago. So I'm going to take the train up in, in middle of January. And that's kind of our Christmas gift to each other. So Get you some deep dish pizza. I've heard Portillo's. Like, that's not pizza. But I've heard that's like the, the cool thing in Chicago, too. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Never been to Chicago. Hopefully it's not a, or hopefully it's not it's better than St. Louis. It's gonna be cold. Better dress warm. Well, I, who knows? It's sixty degrees right now, so you never know what you're gonna get. I not guess. in Chicago, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I know you haven't been there. It's not gonna be that in Chicago. <laughs> all right. Well, Clay, appreciate it, man. Thanks to all of our guests today. Again, uh, PJ Farmer and uh, fun talking about the SEMO Conference Tournament. Uh, Jason Hill, again, Aviva Alberto. Shout out to him and his good information. So, folks, hope you enjoyed it today. Appreciate the time and hope everyone has a, a good rest of your weekend. And get your shopping done. Get ready to go for Christmas. And get in that Christmas spirit. Be nice to somebody today, all right? All right, Clay Harrell, thanks, man. Thank you. All right, that's Clay Harrell, Rusty Hendricks here on the SEMO Scramble. Till next time, you've been listening to SEMO ESPN Radio. You've been listening to the SEMO Scramble on SEMO ESPN. Tune in every Saturday morning from 9 to 10 for a dash of hometown pride with Rusty Hendricks and Jess Todd right here on the SEMO Scramble. Yes, don't miss the latest news, stories, and stories that matter most to local sports enthusiasts. From the Blue Hill and beyond. Right here on SEMO ESPN 1220 AM, 93.5 FM, the SEMO ESPN app, and at SEMOESPN.com.